Welcome to the Equipped Podcast, where we dive deep into the world of business and entrepreneurship. Each episode, we will bring you insightful interviews with entrepreneurs and business owners who are making waves in the marketplace. From sales strategies to marketing innovations, leadership insights, and effective lead generation, this is your go-to source for staying ahead in the business game. Now let's get equipped for success and get to today's episode. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Equipped Podcast. This is your host, Lane Taylor, and we have a very special guest with us today. We have an accidental entrepreneur, but an entrepreneur nonetheless in the tech space, and I'm really excited to touch base and have a conversation with this entrepreneur because that's exactly what she is. Um, but she was in the healthcare world. She's going to tell you everything when she got all of her degrees, what she got it in, her um, how, how she was in the healthcare world, and what she's doing right now. With uh, she's the co-founder of Four Play Social, and we're going to welcome to the show today Julie Griggs. Julie, welcome to the Equipped Podcast. Thank you for having me. And I personally think accidental entrepreneurs are the best entrepreneurs. So super excited to share more about it. I think they are because then you get that authentic entrepreneurship of you just you dive into it and you got to figure it as you go. And I think that's what's going to be cool about this conversation. Totally. So tell the listeners um, a little bit about you, who you are, your background, and we'll we'll dive deep into it. Sure. So I'm Julie Griggs, born and raised in New Jersey. I went to Penn State undergrad, which is where I met my best friend who is more like a sister and is now my co-founder and also my roommate. <laughs> so that's that's been quite the journey for us. Um, after Penn State, I went to grad school at Rutgers. I got my master's as a physician assistant. It was a three-year program. I graduated as the recipient um, as the, with the Dean's Award for Excellence in Community Service. So did a lot of community service in grad school. Last um, became a primary care physician assistant working in a medically underserved area where most of my patients were undocumented, uninsured, Spanish-speaking only. Um, and I was there when the COVID-19 uh, pandemic started. So that was a very difficult time for a lot of reasons. And after bootstrapping my business for Play Social for about two and a half years, I left healthcare to commit full time to my startup along with Danielle, um, who I mentioned is my co-founder and is a nurse and a nurse practitioner. So two healthcare providers turned accidental entrepreneurs. So for the people that don't know exactly Foreplay Social, um, give the listeners a high level over it because then I want to go back and be like, okay, how did you fall into this? How did you get into this? But just so when the listener hears Foreplay Social, like give the listeners a little bit of background so they know. Yeah, it's probably not what you think when you first hear it. It's Foreplay spelled F-O-U-R-P-L-A-Y. And we are a social discovery app where single friends can team up browse other pairs of single friends to match with. When you match, you're put into a group chat where the form you can get to know one another with the end goal being that you get together in real life for a double date. So we are a more fun, lower pressure and safer way for singles to meet new people. Baseline. Totally. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm pretty sure people that are listening to this, they understand that. 
uh, exactly what that is. And I, everyone probably knows your competition too. Uh, I'm sure the competition is very prevalent out there in, in the marketplace. But how being a PA and what you were doing, like how did you go into this? Like why did this foreplay social come up? Yeah, totally unintentionally. So I was in my last semester at Rutgers. I needed to do a six-week primary care rotation. I was placed in New York City for it. And Danielle's roommate at the time was her sister who was traveling in India for six months. And so there was an empty room that I was able to stay in. And literally on day one, I said to Danielle, I gave up so much of my social life and my personal life for my career And I really want to experience dating while I'm in New York. I haven't had the same experience after college that you all have had. However, all you guys do is bitch about it and tell me that the apps are awful and that dating is awful. And so how can I experience it in a way where I don't feel like I'm sacrificing any more of my time with my friends or my social life for dates that are not going to go anywhere? And so we decided to change her dating app profile from Danielle to Danielle and Julie. We put every picture as both of us. We answered every question in a way that was very obvious that we were two single friends looking to match with a guy who had single friends. So we wrote, um, swipe right if you and your awesome friend want to double date me and my awesome friend. We had over 30 guys the first week telling us that it was just such a better idea. It was amazing. It should be its own app. We went on a double date. It was awful. Um, (laughs) It was like truly just not a great date but we left hysterically laughing we wrote in the group chat all of our friends like wait this is so fun and we said okay if this is a bad first date then imagine what a good first date's gonna be and we got a lot of encouragement from our families that if we didn't start this somebody else was going to there was a lot of excitement around the idea And so being naive healthcare providers with no startup experience, we were like, okay, sure, we'll start a business. How hard can that be? So what did you do? I mean, so you go and you have this experience and you do something that is different. First off, I think that's that's like that's a really cool story of like how you created that and you did that on the app and then you you filled you did you went through it. That's really, really cool. Um, And so, okay, walk us through. You have this idea, then you do it. What's next? So what was next was Google. I Googled, how do you start a business? Um, (laughs) Ink file was like the top hit. So um, my family is very entrepreneurial, not in the way of like we are a multi-million dollar family with these successful exits. We are like a failed business after a failed business, that kind of entrepreneurial. And so my brother was pushing that we should do it. Danielle was like, please keep me out of the Griggs family group chats. I'm going to kill you guys. Like, it's enough. I'm very happy being a nurse. And then I came home one day and I was like, we're going to call it foreplay. And she was like, I'm in. There's no way you're starting a business called foreplay and I'm not going to be part of it. <laughs> and so I Googled, literally Googled how to start a business. Um, we became a LLC. And then I started to Google and research a company that could build the app for us. And had we built it here in the United States, it would have cost us upwards of like $100,000, which we didn't have. And so we found a, a company in India. We spoke to other founders who had used them to build their MVP. It cost about $25,000 for them to build it. We went to our parents. We said, this is our idea. This is going to be a huge success. Can you help us get going? I think each parent each sets of parents 
gave either 2500 or 5000 each. And then Danielle and I used our savings for the rest of it. And we outsourced this MVP. So you use your savings. And yeah. you hear that with entrepreneurs. Yeah. There's a So you go to school. You get this degree. Yeah. You you have a degree. You have a job. But then this this comes up. Why did you do this? Why did you drain your savings? Why did you go to your parents? Um, to why, why? The honest answer is because we are our users. So we knew how badly we wanted this. We did it for ourselves. We were like, we want to have more fun dating. And we can't be the only ones that feel this way. And when we got this response from guys telling us that it was genius and that it should be its own app, we felt like we had something something serious here. And for us, it started as it's just more fun, right? Like it's just more fun to date with your friend. But then we started researching online dating and the dating industry. And there are some very disturbing statistics about dating-related violence, um, trigger warning, you know, sexual assault and rape and murders, and a correlation between increased use of dating apps and decreased self-esteem and sexual health. And we realized, okay, the industry needs to be safer. It need, it needs to be better. And who better to do that than two women who are also healthcare providers, right? Who are passionate about community health and safety. But safety isn't sexy. But foreplay is sexy. So how do so we packaged up this idea in a really clickbaity, fun brand. And when we started telling people what we were building and this idea, they thought it was genius. And so it was that feeling of other people think this is genius. People are encouraging us to build it who don't know us. And we want it because we want to use it. Um, and we felt like, okay, if there's ever a time to take a risk, it's when we are single without any other responsibilities other than ourselves. And we should go for it. So, okay. First off, that's, I mean, that really, that's cool. Like going for it, realizing that you need it. And I think that when you, when you need something, you build differently. Yes. You go after things differently. You ask for things differently. I hear it. And I, and I talk with entrepreneurs and business owners all the time. And it's, there's a, there is a common thread of like, I needed what I created. That's mm -hmm. exactly what it that's what it boils down to. And I think that's what's so cool about what, what you all have created here. Thank um, you. What, as far as like, so you've created the app or you create, you, you got, you built it, you outsourced it, you built it as this accidental entrepreneur, like what, what were those like first months like? What were those first things like that you're realizing, okay, we're building a business here. Like what were, what was that like? Yeah, it was very, very challenging. So a big part of the challenge was that we were on very different time zones, right? Like I said, they were in India. Hmm. And so I was I was in a full-time program, you know, master's program. Danielle's working a full-time job as a nurse, and she was also working as a nurse. She was part-time nurse, part-time nurse practitioner. So she was doing in-hospital mother, baby, and primary care. And I was on clinical rotations and having to take exams. And so it was medicine by day. But then it kind of worked because at night, that's when the team in India was getting up in the morning to start. So then we would check in with them. But we learned, we learned very quickly that there were a lot of challenges 
right? So we knew what we wanted built because we had a lot of empathy for the user because we are the user. But this team didn't really understand what we were trying to build. They didn't really understand the concept, um, which plays into the the UI, right? The user interface, the user experience, um, the way that they built it. Um, and they didn't build it to scale, which is why we've since rebuilt it. But it was very challenging trying to communicate with um, the project manager and not being business people and not understanding sprints and project management and all that stuff, like what that even means. And having them build and deploy and ship, ship you know, testable things and for us to haphazardly approve it, think it's fine because we just were seeing it in isolation and we weren't seeing it all behind the scenes of how things were going to interact with one another. And so it was really challenging. And then we were getting asked questions from people about like, well, what's your runway and what's your burn? And we were like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, there's no fight it yet. <laughs> I'm not sure what you mean by my runway. Um, it's a whole other, it's a whole other world. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. There's all these acronyms and, and these terms that you have to teach yourself. The, what's your burn? What's your run rate? Yeah, no, it's it, getting into the startup entrepreneur, that realm, and they start to use those terminologies. Hey, and speaking of which, um, little squirrel moment, I shouldn't do this as a podcast host, but I remember I told you about the the Uber in the pre-interview. Did you did you watch some of the, the Super Pump documentary? I didn't get a chance to watch it. Okay. It's on okay. it's on my list, but I, I got I got distracted by the by the Gypsy Rose docuseries coming out, which I don't know yeah. if you watched that, but that was good. Yeah, a little a squirrel moment. Usually as a podcaster, I tell people you should never do that. But then again, I was like, I wonder if she ended up watching that documentary. Um okay, in okay, so let's just go back a little bit. You 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 have the app, you start to have the users. Did you offload it? Like what was the go to market strategy? Or you for you all? Did you have have coaches? Did you have mentors? Or were you guys just doing this, which is amazing? I, there's no right or wrong answer to that. Like, what what was that like? Yeah, we were just doing it. Not sure that we were doing it right in the beginning. Um, we learned a very valuable lesson. Maybe this will help somebody else who's building out there. So we outsourced it. They built it, and we planned our launch party months and months in advance. And now I know when you're working with technology, nothing will ever be ready on time. And we had our launch party before we had our actual product, which in hindsight was the biggest waste of money. Why have a party? Why launch when there's no product yet for anyone to even join or use? So that was that was mistake number one that we made. But okay, you live and you learn. So the product was ready in October. Um, we had a lot going on personally um i'm not i I feel okay sharing it because danielle and i both speak very openly about it but danielle was recommended for inpatient treatment for an eating disorder and we talked about that and what that would mean if she had to leave so she left a few weeks before launch um and that that is a whole other probably podcast episode about what that was like coming back to your business and feeling like you don't have any ownership of it anymore because your co-founder has been doing it and being the other co-founder who's been doing it and needing to have the grace to let the other person back in after being away for a little bit and relinquishing some control. Um, But Danielle was away. We launched October. Danielle came back after Thanksgiving and then COVID hit shortly after. And we were like, we're not going to promote an app for socializing 
as healthcare providers during a global pandemic. Like I was having, I was losing sleep because I was like, you have to Photoshop the masks on better, cover the nose. (laughs) We can't be promoting misusing of the masks. So we, we stopped user acquisition. We focused on healthcare. We focused on building a brand and what we wanted the value of foreplay to be for people. And we were getting back together in real life. And then in January of 2021, we had the vaccines, people getting back together. And we went to market on social media. So we went on TikTok. We went on Instagram. We made a lot of self-deprecating videos about being single and dating. A lot of them went viral. People started learning about foreplay. People started tagging their friends because we have a product that has a natural flywheel of user acquisition, right? Because you need your friend to do it. So we were getting videos to go viral because people were tagging their friend that they want to use the product with. They were sending it to their friend they wanted to use the product with. And that was our initial go-to-market. Probably 95% of our first 10,000 users probably came from from TikTok. Wow. Okay, so it's interesting that you guys use self-deprecating because it's, it's an interesting model. And it, it's an, I love the marketing strategy. Like one of my mentors... Um, has always taught me that marketing term and it works. It does work. It humanizes. It really does add value. But where did you guys learn that? How did you guys decide to do that? I mean, was that just something by by chance that you did? I'm glad you asked that. So in the beginning, it, we were very boring on our social media, right? We're two healthcare providers. I said, I don't want my face associated with this. I don't want my patients to see me associated with this. Um, I'm not interested in being in the content. And our content was very boring. It was pictures, not videos. And as the world works and you meet people when you're supposed to, we met this woman named Kim Kaup and had coffee and tea with her. And we were talking about our our online presence. And she said, people love people. People don't care about brands. And people might think foreplay is a cool idea, but they're going to be obsessed with Julie and Danielle, who are foreplay's founders who also use foreplay. And you should lean into that. And so we literally came home that day we changed the tiktok from foreplay to hi we're the co-founders of foreplay dating and started making content with ourselves and it was very relatable right like people were like you guys get it and this is why your app is going to be successful because you understand all of the pitfalls and pain points of the dating scene right now and i relate to this and i want to support somebody who is doing something new to change it up um, our personalities and our sense of humor are very self-deprecating to begin with and sarcastic. So it worked perfectly for us, but we weren't initially doing that in our brand. That wasn't infused in the brand in terms of our social media presence. Uh, and so Kim really, really influenced that for us. Yeah. I love that. I mean, in the world right now, and you probably, I mean, you're in it every single day, but as far as like social media and the people that you can relate to and the people that you can follow, like for me, the, the people that I love to follow and then I can relate to are the dads that have toddlers that are going through exactly what I'm going through and they have products and I go and look at all, but like I'm drawn to, for instance, putting my child down is like a WWE wrestling match. Then <laughs> it's, it's, I see that and it's, it, I can relate to that and it's relatable marketing. Like that's what I've always said is relatable marketing. I think that's so cool. So is that kind of your source right now? What's the, like, are you guys 
only based in specific locations right now. How does that work? I'm, I'm actually very curious with yeah. an app. Is that location-based? Like, how does it work? Right now, we are location-based. So if you are located within the greater New York City or Boston areas, you can download Forplay and immediately start matching with other people once you add your friend as a teammate. If you are anywhere else, you can download Forplay, but you're in our waiting room. And when we hit our critical mass, we're going to launch the app and you're sitting next. It's very intentional because in the beginning, we were everywhere. We just launched it. And we were getting a lot of tech support emails from people who were saying things like, I love this idea, but nobody's on your app. So is this a, is this like a real app? Like, do people use this? And we would say, well, where are you based? And then they would write back and say, like, Idaho. And we were like, yeah, there's like three people in Idaho. Like, there's just no way that we're, that we're like going to make a significant difference for you in Idaho. Like, there's three people on the app. Um, we thought it was so cool in the beginning. We're like, wow, people in Egypt are on foreplay, but it's not going to be a good experience for them. Who are they going to match with? Yeah. Um, and so we geofenced it so that when you are in a city that we're live in, you're actually going to have a good experience. Um, and that's the logic behind behind the rolling it out one city at a time um, go-to-market strategy. In terms of our social, our social media, when we started doing this content that was relatable because it was about us talking about our dating and started going really viral, we thought, okay, our users probably could go viral too. So we should find people that are willing to make TikToks about their dating life and using foreplay. And then we started to reach out to our users or we would reach out to people that we had come across their their content on TikTok about their dating life. And we had said, do you want to try foreplay? And if you like it and have a good experience, we'll pay you to make a video about it. And then their content started going viral. Um, when we launched in Boston, w- the video that we sponsored, it got 1.3 million views. Um, because the but the thing is also the idea has to be something that's entertaining and that people are interested in but a lot of people can relate to being single and a lot of people can relate to the terrible dating scene so paying our users was a way for us to diversify and not just be the same two girls over and over again making the content yeah that's very smart going to your users to create it i actually just had a podcast episode with an affiliate marketing person and they actually we had a whole conversation and he's been in the world for over a decade um and it's kind of i would imagine kind of like affiliate marketing kind of sort yeah in, in, a, in a different way um but it's interesting because your app like the dating apps you eventually want them to be off of your dating app i would mm-hmm. say like that's the whole goal of it mm-hmm. and i think that's such a unique thing so with that I, i'll ask a question because there are larger huge dating apps out there that have been around. How do you combat your competition from creating something if they see, hey, Julie, like they know what they got. Well, let's just create another segment within our app. I mean, what's those conversations like? Yeah, we were asked that a lot, a lot in the beginning. Like, why are you an app and not a feature? And the and it's a great question. And it's a question that we really needed to think about um, because we aren't a feature. We are a whole experience and people are very quick to put us in the category of a dating app. And when you put us in the category of a dating app, then are then you're looking at the Tinders and the Bumbles and the Hinges. But the Tinder, the the Hinges and the Bumbles, you're on there to find a romantic relationship so that you can get off of it, right? And okay. I mean, Hinges tagline is literally designed to be deleted. And when I was 
intentionally dating for a romantic partner. I was only using Hinge because that's their brand. Their brand is let's find you a partner. Our brand and our our app, we are not focused on your relationship status. We don't care about changing your relationship status. We want you to enjoy being single while you are single. We want to be the lowest pressure way for you to meet other single people. That's our whole brand. We are more fun. You do it with your friend. It's not lonely. There are no expectations going into the meetup. There are no expectations after the meetup. You don't get paired up with anybody on the app. It's two friends, which we call a team, matching with another team. You aren't paired off. You're just going out in a more social way. And there's a great, uh, there was a great LinkedIn article that someone put out a year ago. Um, and if I'm getting it correct, it was when Monster came out, the energy drink, I think it was Coca-Cola then put like a ton of money into developing an energy drink to compete. And it failed miserably because Coke is soda. It's not an energy drink. That's not their brand. I'll drink Coke. I can also drink Monster, right? It's like I have multiple pairs of shoes because they serve different purposes for me. So our brand is really our moat. It's an experience. It's not a dating app. I love that. That should have been something that I asked in the very beginning because what you what you just described and what the experience is, it, it's, it's not a dating app. Right. And you walking through that and talking through that, it's that is completely different. And so I'm, I will stop calling that a dating app because it's not. A- <laughs> no, I mean, that's that's I think it's also people like what's familiar, too. So in yeah. the very, very, very beginning, we were calling it a social app for single friends. And okay. then people were saying, but what's a social app? So we're like, that's fair because you don't really you don't really know what that is. So we'll just make it easier for you. We'll call it a dating app for single friends. But it's not really what we think we are. But there's a difference in how you talk about a business consumer facing versus how you talk about it with investors and, you know, other businesses and whatnot. Yeah. What, speaking, so it's like you're, it's a perfect segue. When you were talking to investors in this world, in the startup world, I'm actually curious, and you may know it. I mean, what are the statistics of people that are in the startup world, the app world that, let's say, don't make it to year two, year, I mean, month six? I mean, it's got to be. It's got to be a small number that people that make it a certain amount of time. Oh, for sure. It's a, I, and I don't have an actual statistic, and I don't want to make one up. But I know it's. I know most startups fail. I think within the first, what is it, four years or so. I think. Yeah, I would imagine. Uh, all I know is that overnight success takes ten years. So we're in it for the overnight success. <laughs> um, a lot fail, and I can only imagine how many failed in 2023. And it was such a terrible time for startups. And my heart really breaks for a lot of people that have a really great idea who just ran out of money and couldn't make it work. Uh, Because timing, I really think, is everything. And, you know, there's another company that was around a while ago called Grouper. It was a very similar concept, three and three. They didn't have like the same kind of strategy that we have, which is they played more of a middleman. You couldn't see the other person's other friends. But it was the same concept of like dating with your friend. But the timing wasn't the right time for them because they were competing with the hinges and bumbles and tinders at a time when there was a lot of stigma around online dating. And I think if Grouper launched now, they would have had way more success, which probably would be hard for them to hear that because that that's hard to hear, right? But timing is 
everything. I can only imagine how many more startups failed in 2023 because of how difficult of the time it was. Yeah, it, it was a diff- difficult time in the landscape and 2024 is here. And I think that I, from my my standpoint, I believe that the, the economy and the landscape will, will change. And of course, you're in that tech space and tech is such a huge determinant of the marketplace right now with GDP and mm-hmm. where the money is where the money is coming and staying into mm-hmm. what's so for you and for play social in growing the experience well are you I mean is your main customer investors or now is it the consumers like who what is what's a day-to-day like for you and your co-founder consumers the users for sure um, actually it's, uh, timing is everything, right? So I just started fundraising again. So my day-to-day is fundraising. Danielle's day-to-day is users. Um, but it's a chicken and an egg problem, right? Because investors want to see you expand to new markets, but you need money to expand to new markets. And so it's a delicate, it's a, it's a delicate balance, but this is my second time now fundraising. I learned a lot the first time I'm doing things a lot differently this time. Um, I have a different perspective, which is we're building something really freaking cool and it's a privilege to let you in on it. And the first time around, I was thinking, please just give us money because like we really need to get this app built. (laughs) Like this was the first one's breaking and like we really need help and please just help us. But now it's like, wait, this is our business we have just as much say over who invests as the investor does as to whether or not they're going to invest. And we've turned investors down who wanted to invest because it wasn't a good personality fit. Um, And I think that's super important too. What did you learn from round one to now and round two? I know you said a little bit about like people want to invest. You should be want to invest into this. But what would you say to that to that entrepreneur that may be listening to this right now that may be going out for for fundraising you know what did you learn from there to now that you wish that you could have told yourself the first thing is do not be transactional um you should you should take the time to cultivate a relationship so that takes time so start fundraising before you need the money because if you're desperate for the money desperation is an awful smell and repels people and they're not going to be interested. But if you don't need the money right now and you're just trying to develop the relationship, that is way more attractive. And then when you are in a place where you need the money, you can make the ask because you have gotten to know the person over several months. We pitched um, an investor who was like, I think you guys are great you're not investable right now. You're just not. You're not ready for for a big investment. Why don't you keep in touch with me? And in a few months, we can revisit. And it was the best advice because it was true. We weren't ready for it. We wouldn't have known what to do with it. But we continued the relationship and we proved to her month over month that we can set goals and achieve them. So that when we were like, okay, well, now we're actually really raising, she was like, okay, you've proven to me that you guys are not playing startup. You are a startup and I'm ready to invest in it. So I would say building relationships is really, really, really important. Um, Make sure you are looking up investors. Um, Google them. Things are on the internet and you should vet them the same way they're going to vet you. You don't 
need to spend money to fundraise. A lot of people are going to approach you about their product. They can help you fundraise. Just pay them this much money per month and they'll help you raise what you need to raise. But you need to raise more than if you're going to be paying somebody to help you fundraise. So try and be as resourceful as possible. There are a ton of people in your network that you don't know can help you. I had no idea what any of my friends' husbands did, what my uncles did until I asked. And then it turns out a lot of them were actually really helpful um, and were able to make introductions for me or were able to tell me what terms meant, what what a term sheet is, <laughs> like what what it means to invest in a startup. So just do your homework. I like I, when I talk with entrepreneurs, especially entrepreneurs that are in the building phase and they're grinding and they're building something and they believe in it. One of one of the things that I'm not gonna say hurts my heart. That sounds weird, but like just it raises my eyebrows of being like you have this network of people and you aren't utilizing them. You aren't asking them the question. Like one of my best friends is an extremely well-known brand photographer that does course creation that has all these funnels and all these types of websites and webinars and has built a multi-six-figure business. And he's he literally is my next-door neighbor. And I just ask him questions all the time. Yeah. And it, hearing people be like, hey, utilize your network because the people that are in your network they they want to share their expertise. With yeah. You. If they, if you've built a relationship, they want to share it with you. And I think that that's so powerful. So thank you for sharing that. I think that's yeah. Cool. And if if they can't help you, they might have someone in their network that can. And a lot of a lot has come from that too. Of them being like, wait, I know somebody who would be a really good person for you to talk to, which has then led to other opportunities. Exactly. Yeah. What do you see for for Play Social? I mean, what is what's your vision of it when you're when you're when you're fundraising when you're talking to people like when you go in there and you say hey you you're not going to want to miss out on that which i love that terminology and when you go watch super pump on netflix you got to let me know shoot me a message on linkedin because Ideal. you're going to love that terminology because that's what he uses and uh so what is it I me mean, why investors why consumers why in three or four years we're going to see this everywhere yeah i mean the future of of dating is social people are lonely, lonelier than ever. COVID really played a big part in that. People are isolated. They want to be back in real life, but have a lot of social anxiety, I think. Kind of forgotten how to socialize. I mean, it's an, it's a muscle, right? If you don't use it, it atrophies. And when we read the, the dating reports from 2023, everything was pointing towards the future of dating is a more social, less romantic, more friend-focused way of dating. And so... For us, our mission has always been to create a healthier experience for singles physically, mentally, and socially. Our vision has always been to create a world where singles are equally as fulfilled and included as their relationship counterparts. And so for us, we just want to build a brand that is for best, it's for friends. And it's also something that you can look at as like a friend for life for you. Like we just want to be there to support you through your dating journey when you have good things to celebrate, bad things to grieve. Like we feel so connected to our users. Our users literally will send me tech support emails with selfies of them on their dates because they know that we genuinely care because we are them. And 
when we think about the vision of foreplay, we see it being so much bigger than just single friends going on double dates. We see it as being a community where people feel accepted for who they are, loved for who they are. They have a support system. They've made new friends. They've made new professional connections. They've made new romantic connections. And they just feel fulfilled. I love that. I do love that. As a female entrepreneur, um, because I just, I'm, it's inspiring. I love female entrepreneurs. You guys just think differently and you're putting so much good into this world. And I just kudos to you for for what you're doing and what you're building. And I'm cheering you guys on. I won't be on the app. I hate to tell you. (laughs) That's fair. I think your wife would like that very much. But you know, what's interesting, Julie, is my wife and I, we just moved to a brand new city and we don't, we didn't know a single person. Mm-hmm. And um, I was thinking, I was like, you know, I want, is there things out there that we're a husband and wife? Is there things out there? I don't, I don't know. Well, there will be in the future because there will be foreplay for couples. My Ooh. brother, my brother has been asking me for years. Can you please make foreplay for couples? Because Jennifer and I want to meet other friends that are at the same stage of life. Right. So um, I, I totally see that. I totally get that. And, you know, right now we're hyper-focused on our initial target audience, which are the Gen Z millennial singles. But there's also a huge opportunity for the widowed, divorced, you know, never married, older singles who are scared to use technology to meet other people and don't want to do it alone. Um, but the the couples wanting to meet other couples is definitely something that we hear a lot. Yeah, I could see that because we have a two-year-old and you you're in a season of life where if you're friends with someone and they let's say have a 13 year old and you have a two-year-old it's you can be friends with them but they're just in different seasons of life and you know you can maybe if we get on force for um for play for socials and you can check off maybe your your kid's age range and then Mm -hmm. maybe uh, go on play dates and hang out and you can yeah that's a I want credit for that. If yeah, we'll get back with Yeah. <laughs> well, okay. So, if entrepreneur, female entrepreneur, was sitting across from you, had a business idea, what would you, what would you say to them? What would you encourage an entrepreneur's? You know, I'll say a female, just because you're you're inspiring. Yeah, I and I think it's important because I think we don't have as much confidence. I mean, I'll, I won't generalize. I'm sure there are a lot of very confident women who are starting businesses. Danielle and I did not feel very confident. We felt like we took every meeting and people looked at us as like cute little girls that were like trying to start a business. And it was like sweet. And I think that played into the first time I fundraised feeling like, please just give us the money because we need it versus no, like this is my business and we know what we're doing. And if you want to be part of it, you got to be someone that's worth us giving a part of our company to. And so I would say if you're thinking about starting a business, be confident recognize how much value you bring um and you're going to most likely experience a little bit of sexism we've definitely experienced it we've had some very disgusting conversations unfortunately um it's all part of the journey uh it's all a learning experience but the biggest thing i would say is that there is an energy to a man that a woman like a confidence as a first time founder that i don't think a female entrepreneur has i saw um someone that i went to high school with i saw his linkedin bio there was something i saw that was like raise six million dollars so i could prove product market fit and i was like dude 
I have product market fit and there's not like that's if I ever wrote, I was raising millions to prove product market fit. I need product market fit to raise a dollar. Um, so there's just this different confidence level uh, that I think men have that women need more of. And like we're freaking badass and we're really smart and we our brains work differently and in a really amazing way. And I mean, I think women are amazing. And so I think you just need to have confidence in yourself and people are going to poke holes in your business. People are going to question why you are the best person to build it. And you have to be confident in your answer or else people are going to think you're just faking it and they're not going to invest in you either emotionally or financially. I love that. And I, I completely agree. Some of the best advice that I get is from my wonderful wife. She is able to look at things that I am not able to look at and she is an entrepreneur herself. And uh, yeah, she's again, the females and women entrepreneurs, I there it's amazing. Absolutely love it. And you guys are doing amazing things and I'm cheering cheering you all on and excited to see you everywhere one of these days. Thank you. And I'm cheering you on too. And I really appreciate that we connected and I appreciate that you admire, you know, entrepreneurs and and women as much as you do. Cause I think it's I think we need more strong men behind us, you know, advocating for us. Absolutely. Tell the listeners, and if there's a listener on here that is an investor, like where do people find you? How can they connect with you? What's the best way to learn more about Four Play Social? So if you are single and you're interested in the app, you can find us in the app store, Four Play, F-O-U-R-P-L-A-Y. We are also on um, TikTok and on Instagram. You can search for Four Play Social Dating. Um, and if you're interested in getting in touch with me for any other reason, um, you can find me on LinkedIn, Julie Griggs, and we can go from there. Fantastic. Julie, thank you again for taking the time. I know you, you've added a ton of value. I've learned a lot about the tech space. It's so interesting. I like selfishly get to have these conversations and interviews, and it's just, I learned so much about everything. And so thank you for spending time today. I know this is an hour out of your day. So thank you so much and uh, look forward to hopefully connecting more and seeing you guys rise. Yeah, thank you. Guys, thanks so much for listening to another episode of the Equipped Podcast. Like I do on every episode, please don't hit X yet if this is the first time. If you're listening to this on Apple, scroll all the way to the bottom and give us a five-star rating and a five-star review. That would really help us. And we will see you next time on the Equipped Podcast. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode of the Equipped Podcast. Do me a favor. Go to Apple, scroll all the way to the bottom, give us a five-star rating and a five-star review. Better yet, share this with someone that you think it would add value to. And if you think you would be a good guest on the Equipped Podcast, shoot me an email at lane at goprospect.com. That's L-A-N-E at G-O-P-R-O-S-P-E-X dot com. Until next time, see you guys.